Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God here on Faith FM. We are about to get into our Bible study. Text messages usually come through. I know this is a custom of ours to do them after the news, but that's because, you know, we did some serious news. The text messages come through, and that's usually during the interview, and so we don't get to share them until now. Um, the burning of uh, Dr. Seuss books, not the burning, the cancelling of Dr. Seuss in the United States. Someone wants to comment uh, throughout history. Governments have burned Bibles and other books in the town square. Maybe we should do the same for Dr. Seuss. Love Dr. Carson's poem. So if you'd like to find Dr. Carson's poem, maybe I should try and post it up somewhere. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, that was by Dr. Ben Carson in response to Dr. Seuss being cancelled in the United States. Uh, another one here, Barbados Prime Minister is doing the same thing that 11 other countries are doing or thinking of doing with legislating what amounts to Sunday laws. Sounds good, but we know, but we who know history and Bible prophecy know where this will end because this is not the first time this has happened. I'm just adding in here. Sunday laws are nothing new. They have been around for the last, on and off for the last 2000 years and they have never gone well for Sabbath keepers. It actually, it actually only proves what we've been preaching for 160 years is spot on. The labor unions uh, will bring this world to total mayhem. Um, so those text messages come through. Let me just see about another one. Okay, all of these people that are involved in cancelling everything are empty in their lives. They have all this energy and internal feelings of righteousness from God. This is actually really insightful. They have all of these internal feelings of righteousness from God, but do not understand what that is. They want to make a difference in the world, but without Jesus leading them, their energy is misdirected, sadly. Mm. And I think that's actually a really good comment because I think a lot of people that are a part of the cancel culture are a part of it because they feel that it's moral and good and they're working towards a better society. But once you take Jesus out of the equation of what goodness is, goodness becomes insanity. Ooh. Hmm. Goodness is goodness only works in the context of having Jesus in your life. And that's where and I, I really think that there's a major point to be, you know, delved into and discussed here because even with a lot of the insanity that we see taking place with, uh, for instance, people who can no longer figure out how many genders there are, you know, by the age of two, pretty sure by the age of two I knew that there were two genders. A two-year-old figured it out, and I'm pretty sure I'd never even been told. I just knew there were two. The Bible says professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so now we have people who are adults and professing themselves to be wise, and you ask them, they're like, well, we have no idea. I'm like, really? You have no idea? Seriously? You know, as a two-year-old can figure that out for themselves, but you as an adult can't. And I think the point that is brought out here is that these are not evil people. These are people who are doing this from a good heart. They are saying this from a good heart because they want to be good and they want to be kind and they want to be make the world a better place, but because they've taken God out of their thinking, they've become insane. Anyway... A very yeah insightful comment. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Okay, uh, another text message here. Um, you guys have been busy this morning, so we love to hear from our listeners. And if you've got some thoughts that you'd like to share, 
Uh, do shoot us a text message 0491-064-669 or give us a call. Um, we can even put you on air. 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. This text message says, as for the symbol of the swastika, which means well-being, has been used by Hindus, Buddhism and Jainism for millennia. It would be the same as banning the cross for Christians. That was a discussion you and I had off air. Yes, yeah. Because we were talking about that and we're like, wait a minute, you're going to ban swastikas? Uh, Just because, you know, the Nazis came along and hijacked the swastika does not mean that the swastika is not a major religious symbol. You know, there's a symbol that has been around for thousands of years. Mm. And, you know, it's not a symbol that is in use within my church. And so, you know, I don't have any... Uh, strong feelings about it, yeah. feelings of attachment to it, but I would feel rather differently. How would you feel if the government banned a cross? Yeah, I would feel very. Uh, I would. Uh, <laughs> I feel very hurt. I'd be like, "What? What's going on here?" I. That's why I like. I'm not here for. I don't really. I don't support cancel culture or banning banning things. I'm very hesitant. I'm like, oh, I'm not too keen on that. Like, and sorry, especially cancel culture really grinds my gears because it, like we discussed off air, you said it really silences people and it doesn't. Change we them. talk so much these days of we need to have a conversation about this. Yeah. Well, you're not having a conversation if you're cancelling everything. And like, it's, you're just, we're not hearing people anymore. We're making them, we're, we're silencing them. And so ironically, no conversations are really uh, the important conversations that we really should and that do value and that do impact others and that really help people like who are listening and, who wanted to like have some input? Those people aren't, you know, being affected or influenced. This is really a good comment. You know, we need to have a conversation about this, but we can only have a conversation if your conversation agrees with my conversation. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, granted, conversations are hard to have. I get it. I get it's hard. Absolutely, but don't no be question. out here cancelling and <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> And this is the whole point. Conversations are hard, particularly when you have people who disagree with each other, but if an idea can't be heard, it can't be understood. Mm-hmm. And you can ban racism, and let's say that you know, we mentioned this as well. You know, let's say you've got a racist neighbour and you ban racism. It doesn't mean that suddenly your neighbour ceases to be racist. Mm-hmm. It just means he doesn't talk about it anymore. He's still just as racist as he was before. Whereas if you allow freedom of speech, then you can engage with your neighbour. Mm. And you can challenge him on his thoughts. Mm. And he might agree with you, he might disagree with you, it doesn't matter, but he's going to go away and think about it. Yeah. And that's what's important about being able to speak and being able to express ourselves and, you know, and being able to worship as well. So, yeah, yeah interesting, uh, some good thoughts coming through there from our listeners. Uh, we love you guys. <laughs> we we um, just think it's amazing that uh, you listen to the show and support it and comment. Um, and send your thoughts through. Let's go to our Bible study. This is probably the best part of this whole passage. Um, is my favourite part of the passage anyway, so that's Isaiah chapter 53. We're heading to Isaiah chapter 53. Um, what verses are we reading? Uh, we're going to read verses 3 to 9. 3 to 9. Yes, Isaiah 53, 3 to 9. All right, well, I'll read verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised um, and we did not care. 
Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And though, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for us, for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own way. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is one of the most sublime passages in the Bible. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You know, whenever I read this one, don't laugh at me. <laughs> whenever I read this one here, I just, you know, it just, it, it affects me so deeply. And it is such beautiful poetry. Mm. This is a piece of poetry that is, that rem- it, it, it just maintains its poetic flow even when you translate it into English. Yeah. You know, I can hear the poetic flow there. That's modern English. You can hear it in the old English. You can hear it in any language that you want. This piece of poetry remains a piece of poetry, and that is just evidence of a sensational, um, yeah, just beautifully written. Let me read it to you from the old English. I think this is one of those ones that is just worth reading twice, and it's so well known in old English that I think we should read it from here as well. Mm. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, but who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he has made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he has done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Just a magnificent description of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Saviour, who died on Calvary, for our sins. Mm. Not just a beautiful piece of poetry, not just a beautiful description, but also a beautiful piece of prophecy. This is a passage that nobody can argue that it was written, you know, a long, long time before the events of the crucifixion. You know, sometimes you'll find prophecies and, and people argue, oh, that was so accurate that it was written after the event. Well, we have a copy of this mm. from 120 years before Jesus Christ lived, an original copy. So that's, you know, remarkable in and of its own when you, you know, take into consideration the Isaiah scroll from amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls Mm. and this passage is right there. We are reading it as it was written back then. Let's work our way down through this. I've been waiting to get to this particular uh, part of the prophecy all week and looking forward to it. 
But let's look at some of the themes that we've got as we work our way down through it. Why don't you start there for us in verse 3. Verse, read that one. Mm-hmm. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Now, this is, this is interesting. If, if you and I were able to jump in a time machine and go back to the time of Jesus... Would we turn our backs on him? Would we care? Mm. With the understanding of who Jesus is that we have right now. So I'm not saying jump in a time machine mm. and just sort of blank out everything we know right now. But mm. if you went back yeah. and we saw Jesus, we would understand what was going on yeah. because we have hindsight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People in Jesus' day, when they looked at Jesus, they saw him as being under the curse of God. Because all of these terrible things happened that you know he was crucified, he was beaten, he was you know and this passage really looks at more than just the crucifixion. It includes his whole life. Sometimes I think we don't stop and think about the life that Jesus lived because he lived a life in which he was so often despised and rejected. You know, you think of the you think of the, I remember back in the days that I went, when I went to school, it was not cool to be the good kid. You know, the teachers like a good kid. But it was not cool to be liked, like, liked by the teachers. That just wasn't, just wasn't cool. Maybe he went to a different school than me. My school, that was the way it was. <laughs> my mum was my teacher. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Well, see, that's the ultimate right there. Um, but I understand, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it kind of wasn't cool. Okay, so let's think about the environment that Jesus grows up in. So he grows up in Nazareth. Mm. Now, Nazareth was a, um, its kind of purpose for existence as a town was it was a stopping place for travellers travelling through the empire and particularly a stopping place for soldiers who were travelling backwards, Roman soldiers who were travelling backwards and forwards. The Bible says, the statement is made in the Bible, uh, you know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of one of those really dodgy suburbs. You know, this was uh, for Sydneyites. This was (laughs) the Mount Druid of Israel. Yeah. That's what it was. What other cities do we know where there's got... Every city has their... You know, for the Brisbaneites, this was Logan. Mm. And when you... You sort of have a bit of an attitude of somebody who comes from Mount Druid or, or, or Logan. It's true. You, 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 you just instantly, in your mind, you profile them, you judge them, and you've come to a certain level of conclusion mm. just by the fact that it's like, yeah, I'm from, uh, I'm from Mount Druid. It's so true, though. Like, I know people might be like, oh, that's so mean. No, it's true. It's what you think. Like, what do you hear on the news? Where, like, where, yeah, like, you make your assumptions. You just. There's a reason they made a TV show about Mount Druid, right? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so- because everybody, because, it, and that's where Jesus grows up. So Jesus yeah. grows up in that kind of environment. It's a bad suburb. Mm. It's a bad town. Mm. Now, Growing up in that kind of environment as a sinless child, how well do you think he fitted in with his peers? Not fair, not well at all. I don't think. And children really struggle with that. You know, peer pressure. Yeah. I remember being a kid. Yeah. 
the need to fit in is overpowering. Uh-huh. I, I see my little sisters and it just it makes my heart sad, sad when I see them trying to fit in or like, or when they might, they, they fit in fine, but in moments of struggle where they're yes. like. Oh, because we all went through it. Yeah. It's like heartbreaking. <laughs> and Jesus would have had that his entire life and uh, he would never have been able to fit in. Mm. And you sort of think about that and you think, okay, yeah, but there's people in society that are there to look out for kids like that. Mm. Um, you know, your religious leaders, your teachers and so forth, and you'd say, well, there'd be people there to give him support. Well, okay, so how much support did Jesus get from the religious leaders, particularly once his ministry began? None. <laughs> None. They attacked him. They were after his, you know, they were after his head the whole time. Mm-hmm. They wanted to take him down left, right and centre and eventually they crucified him. Mm. So you talk about despised and rejected. You've got disciples that follow him and sometimes there's large groups and Jesus you know, preaches a tough sermon and, and the Bible says, you know, from that point forward, many forsook him. Mm. He turns to the disciples and he, are you going to go away as well? And, you know, Simon Peter said, no, you have the words of life. And that would have been really encouraging for him. He's got his whole ministry, which is three and a half years long. He's got these 12 disciples that actually stick with him. They don't have doubts. Well, Thomas had plenty of doubts. But apart from Thomas, they don't have doubts. They're like, no, he's the Messiah, and we are going to follow him wherever he goes, whatever he does. This is where we are going to stay. And so you have this... um, this whole aspect of Jesus being rejected, 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 rejected by the people that he came to save, by his own nation, mm. by his own countrymen. Now, this is a, an incredibly multicultural society at this particular time. Uh, you've got lots of Romans there. You've got lots of Greeks. You've got lots of Hellenized Jews. You've got lots of Jewish Jews. And, uh, of course, you know, in a very multicultural society like that, you know, I've lived in those kind of societies when I've you know, been overseas and there hasn't been as many Australians around. He liked to have, you know, some national identity. Well, his nation doesn't want to have anything to do with him. His nation is the one who should understand him. His nation is the one who has this prophecy. And his nation doesn't want a bar of him. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, we've got a, uh, another text coming through here in relationship to the Bible study. The disciples, the disciples knew enough, but they didn't understand the complexity of the whole message and what the plan of sal- what the salvation plan entailed. Yesterday, it was mentioned that the thief and centurion were the only two that understood, but I'd argue that Mary Magdalene knew as well. Mm. That would be an interesting argument to have. I would definitely say that she experienced sort of. Because all these people, the criminal, the Roman centurion and Mary Magdalene, they kind of experienced like the redemption like situation before many of the others. They experienced the power of God's grace in their lives. They knew it was real. They couldn't deny it. Did Mary understand when Jesus died that that was guaranteeing her salvation? Hmm. This is an interesting question. But I think it's an interesting mix here when you put those three together because they're definitely the first three, three. Yeah. to understand. Yeah. So your first th- 
three to understand the gospel message. Just wrap your head around this. The first three Christians, let's put it that way. The first one is a thief. The second one is a Roman centurion. And the third one is an ex-prostitute. Mm. That's that's significant right there. And then, and then think of... and Sorry, go ahead. Because these are people who have been a long way from God. Yeah. And have an appreciation for the power of God's grace that somebody who has grown up within mm. Christianity may not have that same appreciation. Yeah. Powerful testimony. You were going to say something? Oh, yeah. It was just kind of along, along the same lines of like when you think of the 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 disciples or the people who also furthered Christianity, like Peter, he was known as a zealot. He was known, he was well known for denying Christ. And then Paul, who was also known for persecuting Christians, like they didn't have the best rep, but these were the people that God chose to share the gospel and got, and they understood the gospel. And it's just really encouraging to like, these are the people who understood the gospel. So first or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. All right, so we have been uh, talking about how Jesus was despised and rejected of men and how hard that would be because rejection is hard for any of us. Mm -hmm. All of us at various times have experienced rejection, rejection by our peers, uh, rejection by our church members, rejection by church leaders. Some of you out there have experienced that, Mm -hmm. and that's hard. Because you sort of think your church leaders, your pastor and so forth, is the person, that's his job, is, the, is to be there for everyone. Mm. You know, regardless of how messed up or broken they might be, that's his job, is to be there for everyone. And then suddenly you find that pastors are, unfortunately, humans. And they do terrible things sometimes. There's been some pastors that have done terrible, terrible things. And... Uh, People have been rejected by pastors. They have been bullied by pastors. They have been abused by pastors. And a lot of people leave Jesus Christ because of that, but they forget that Jesus was rejected by pastors. Jesus was rejected, was bullied by pastors. Jesus was killed, executed, crucified by pastors by a group of pastors who got together. You know, we shouldn't be surprised, I guess, in some ways when we see pastors who do bad things. And when we do see them do bad things, we certainly shouldn't leave Jesus Christ. We should never give up on Jesus Christ because... Jesus has been there and done that and experienced it, not that he had to. There's no requirement in the plan of salvation. You must go to earth and be rejected by everybody. That's the wages of sin. No, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is not rejection. He experienced all of that and he went through all of that simply for the one and only reason so that when we go through the same thing, He is able to stand right there beside us and say, you know what? You've been let down by the people you were expecting to trust the most. And there is nothing harder than that. And I've been there. In fact, my past has crucified me, executed me. So I've been there to the nth degree. 
I've suffered this to the most that a person can ever suffer it. And I did it so that I can be with you right now. I have been there. I have experienced it. I got through it. And I can get you through this. That is Jesus' message to everybody who has suffered abuse at the hands of pastors, mm. ministers, priests, whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um, there's a really, really powerful message here when the Bible says, He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected. All right. Let's continue on here. Surely, verse 4, why don't you read verse 4? Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Okay, so this is kind of the natural thing. You know, we see him um, smitten, the Bible says, afflicted, and people sort of look on and think, well, you know, um, if somebody's getting punished like that, then he must be punished by God. Well, here's the interesting thing with Jesus. He was punished by God, but not for anything that he did. Uh-huh. He was punished by God for what we did. There's this really interesting um, line here in verse 6. We all, all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sins were laid on Jesus. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, let me see here. Oh, look at verse the end of verse 4 there, you know. We did esteem him stricken, Smitten of God and afflicted. Now that's kind of hard to understand, but that verse says that God punished Jesus. He was smitten by God, punished for what we did. This is how much Jesus loves us. And so, you know, we look at this and, and, and you see what was happening with Jesus. And if you were there on the crucifixion weekend, you'd be struggling to understand what was going on. Because, like, Jesus doesn't deserve this. There's no way that, you know, Jesus should be going through this, what is happening here. Um, and, of course, you know, nobody understands what is it that is happening. But that's because, you know, he was, he was giving his life for you and I. So many, so many important uh, points we can draw out of this. You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. Mm. We have turned everyone his own way. And what did God do when we all like sheep went astray? What did God turn around and do? Well, God turned around and laid our sin, our astrayness on Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves us. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much they were prepared to do. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right, so coming back to um, the um, subject at hand, is now time for... Question of the Day. Okay, so this morning's question is, when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is already in your midst, was that when just when he was on earth, or can he be in our midst now? 
Okay, so this is a very interesting question right here. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to 22, uh, verse 20, the Bible says, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom does not come with observation. Okay, in other words, you're not going to see it come. You can't, you know, it's because he, um, he continues on from there. So let's continue this thought. Verse 21, neither shall they say lo here or lo there. In other words, it's here or it's there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Hmm. And so the Pharisees are like, well, okay, you're claiming to be the Messiah. When is the kingdom of God going to come? When are you going to throw off the Romans? When are you going to establish the Jewish empire? And like, the kingdom of God is not something you're ever going to see. Mm-hmm. He describes this to Nicodemus when he says, it's like the wind. You can't see it. You can see the effects of it. You can feel the effects of it. But you can't actually see the wind. You can see things that the wind picks up. You can see a cloud of dust. But that is not seeing the wind. That is seeing dust. That is being caused by the air. And the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God comes to your heart, into your heart, and you become a part of the kingdom of God, that is not a physical kingdom that exists in a geographical location on earth. That's why Jesus mm. says, you know, it's not like somebody's going to say, okay, these, low here or low there. This is, these are the geographical boundaries of the kingdom of God on earth. Kingdom of God on earth is not going to have geographical boundaries. It's not like I'm going to be like any other empire where you can either be within the empire or without, or without the empire because the kingdom of God is within you. And of course, when Christianity, you know, then proceeds to take the world by storm, it does exactly that because it crosses all national boundaries Mm -hmm. so that we sit here, you know, myself as an Australian, Mm -hmm. 2,000 years later, living in a country, speaking about Jesus, experiencing the kingdom of God, um, you know, coming from a country that had never even been heard of back then. And the same for yourself. You're an Australian as well. You've got Islander heritage. I mean, mm-hmm. those islands never been heard of when mm-hmm. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It's true. Yeah. And so it wasn't going to be a geographical place or a geographical location. So that's the first important point. And because of that, the kingdom of God is not just, is not that it's not just, it, it is not bound by geography. It is also not bound by time. So the kingdom of God has always existed in the hearts and minds of men and women. It's as simple as that. Um, wherever the Holy Spirit has brought about conversion, the kingdom of God has existed. Now, will there come a time at some point where the kingdom of God does have geographical boundaries here on this earth? Well, yes and no. The reason I say yes is because the kingdom of God will exist in a very tangible way on this earth. And no, it won't have boundaries because you can't say it's got boundaries when it encompasses the whole earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says, you know, at the end of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27, it says, The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom of the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Right now we live 
geographically in an area that is disputed territory between Christ and Satan. And there are followers of Christ and there are followers of Satan. There are members of the kingdom of God and there are members of the kingdom of Satan. The Bible says there is coming a time when geographically here on this earth, everyone will be a member of the kingdom of God. And that will be an amazing event to look forward to. May we all be ready for that great day. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.